Uh, one day several years ago, I found myself walking into uh, a church in the Baltimore area to uh, greet its pastor and to attend the funeral of his wife, uh, who had passed away days before that. And I still remember uh, Rick standing in the hall outside of his office, uh, looking at me and saying to me, well, this has been the toughest week of my life, and yet I've never felt more spiritually alive. And uh, my response to that comment, uh, I think, was the genesis of something uh, that I have said on countless occasions ever since that time as I put my hand on his shoulder and I said to him, well, then today, today is a great day to know the Lord. Uh, because that is so true that uh, whether it's a good day in your life or it's a bad day in your life, it is always a great day to know the Lord. And I was thinking about that conversation uh, as I pondered today's passage from Paul's letter uh, to the believers in the ancient Greek city of uh, Philippi, in, in words that may frankly seem like they're a little out of sync to you today uh, with their call to rejoice always, given the fact that we have all come here with fresh images of the atrocities of terror and war in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and who knows where else. Having uh, just returned from uh, several days in the UK, uh, I heard many words expressing the things that people think about us in one report after another and uh, how to quote one of them. Uh, there's so much infighting in America uh, that its government is now unable to function, which is uh, uh, difficult to hear when you, know, you actually live in the place where the local news is the national news and, and you actually serve, for peop serve people who serve in that government. Or maybe you're coming here today uh, mindful of some conflicts that are more personal to you, they're closer to home and they have to do with uh, the losses of health and life and relationships and, and a number of other things uh, that rob you of any desire to rejoice at all, much less to rejoice always. And yet the words of Paul are there and they challenge us and they beg the question, well, is it really possible for anybody to rejoice always? And if so, how exactly does that go, especially when it seems to be so out of sync and so improbable or in conflict with the events of your life or the life of the world around you. And yet I have to say that by observation, uh, I have known that uh, some people in this world seem to rejoice just a lot more easily and quickly than others for reasons I can't always explain, but it, it makes me think of uh, you know, the great story of those two little boys, one of whom uh, finds himself in a room that's just filled with toys. And he looks at the toys, and he thinks about the toys, but he doesn't touch them, and he doesn't play with them, because they're not his. And if he does, he might break one, and if he breaks one, he might get in trouble. And so this boy sits in a room full of toys, and he takes joy in none of it. The second little boy finds himself uh, in a room full of manure, and he looks at the manure, and he thinks about it, and he begins to kick it around, all the while thinking to himself, there must be a pony in here somewhere. 
Uh, but if you're like you and uh, maybe me, you know, you find yourself in the middle of those uh, two extremes, I'd like to invite you to join me in a closer look at St. Paul's words uh, to the Christians in the city of uh, Philippi and at what it really means to rejoice always uh, as we journey through this life in days that can be very good, days that can be very bad. And as I take that closer uh, look, the first thing that jumps out at me from this passage is that uh, joy or rejoicing is not just the feeling of joy that kind of wells up in you and it kind of springs out and erupts involuntarily in response to, you know, some piece of good news or, or moment or experience uh, in your life. And it, it comes out like all feelings come out uh, just like that. Because in the context of St. Paul, rejoicing is actually a spiritual action that really doesn't originate either in our feelings or in our circumstances. Rejoicing is a conscious decision. It is a willful decision to honor and praise and give thanks, even in those moments when other forces or powers in your life may seem like they are winning the day. And so rejoicing has to do with the Easter hymns we sang at the funeral of my friend's wife. Rejoicing has to do with lifting up alleluias, even when you happen to have tears in your eyes. Rejoicing, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, isn't just a feeling that's, that's founded in our circumstances or, or in our emotions, as you heard. It's an instruction. It's an exhortation. In fact, you know, it's actually a command. Uh, like the British pastor Charles Spurgeon, who I know I've been talking about a lot lately, uh, also said that rejoicing is the duty of every believer. And yet, uh, I think the real key to understanding what Paul's getting at here in his letter to the Philippians is found in just three little words. And those words are, in the Lord. Because what Paul is really telling the people of Philippi to do, what God is really telling you and me to do, is not to uh, rejoice in our circumstances, no matter how good they happen to be. He's calling us to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of our circumstances, no matter how bad they might happen to be. With respect to the people of Philippi, I'd have to say their circumstances were frankly pretty good. Philippi was a, a center of uh, privilege and of wealth and power. Its citizens were Roman citizens. A lot of its residents were uh, military officers who were well-off, well-disciplined, great leaders in the community. Uh, its location was on uh, the main highway connecting Rome to its eastern provinces. And if that isn't good enough, Philippi was surrounded on all sides by, guess what, gold mines. So that if you were living in Philippi, you were living pretty good. And that, I believe, is precisely why St. Paul writes to this church, and he calls on them to rejoice in none of that, because he knows that all of it, the privilege, the wealth, the power, the comfort, all of it will go at the end of the day. 
And so he calls and reminds them to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of their circumstances because that is the only thing that will last when everything else in your whole life and everyone is gone. Or maybe you feel a little bit more like uh, my friend who uh, lost his wife and, and you've already come to experience uh, losses in your own life and in your own world. And, and that is when rejoicing does become uh, this spiritual theological action, this willful decision and choice uh, to praise God for the goodness of God, to experience what St. Paul referred to as the nearness of God, to have a taste of what he calls the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's when I go back to that day, last June, when this child was born uh, in the midst of feelings of joy and anticipation that in a moment quickly changed with the complications of Reese's birth, resulting in great anxiety, in significant distress, in uncertainty about even her future. And so it was that Reese Eleanor was baptized that day at St. Joseph's Medical Center as we rejoiced in the goodness of God, not in our circumstances, but in the Lord in the midst of our circumstances, so that by God's grace, rejoicing can even look like that. Even when our feelings were everything but joyful, because that day was a great day to know the Lord, just like this day is a great day to know the Lord and uh, in the context of some very, very different feelings than that afternoon on June the 8th. Uh, as for St. Paul himself, you know, in case you think that maybe his words were a little uh, overly pious or naively optimistic, then consider the fact that this letter, these words to the Christians in Philippi were written while he was under arrest in Rome. He was bound for his faith in Jesus. He wasn't yet in the dungeon where he would be taken for his execution, but this is the one who said that we should rejoice in the Lord always. This is the one who talks about the nearness of God. This is the one who by his own life and witness gives us a little taste of that peace that passes all human understanding in the one who according to the writer to the Hebrews, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now Jesus did not enjoy the cross, but he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And you know what that joy was? That joy was having this child in his family. That joy was having you in the household of God because God's joy is in you. And so uh, rejoicing, at least to me, 
at least from Philippians chapter four, is not something that begins with my feelings or my circumstances. It begins with the goodness of God. And if those feelings of joy kind of erupt within us as they are erupting in me because of the blessedness of this day, then that's great. But that's the overflow. That's the bonus. And whether the day is good or it's bad, here we come into this house to get our worship on and to praise the living God because in him, whether it's a good day or it's a bad day, every day is a great day to know the Lord. And so we give thanks. And we celebrate God's goodness today. And in his name and for his sake, I say, keep doing your duty. Keep looking for the pony. Keep looking forward to the joy that is set before you here in this life and someday in the kingdom of God forever. And just remember this one thing. It may be a good day. It may be a bad day. But every single day is a great day to know the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.